G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as the same-sex debate continues, lots of things said are emotive and many of the issues raised by the yes case for same-sex marriage appear to be based around the idea of love is love. But what about the consequences? If the yes case wins the plebiscite survey and marriage law changes... Well, defenders of traditional marriage may be at the mercy of new laws. No one who is a Christian will be safe. Ultimately, when the rubber hits the road, changing the marriage law will have dramatic effects on Christians and other religious groups. So some insights today into what would be ahead in relation to legislation and issues of international human rights. Senator David Fawcett is chair of the Joint Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade and Deputy Government Whip in the Senate. He's also on the Senate Standing Committee on Legal and Constitutional Affairs. Senator David Fawcett, welcome to 2020. Okay, thanks Neil. David, first of all, some news out of the UK this week. In a shocking attack on religious freedom and even property rights, The Speaker of Britain's House of Commons has argued that the country won't have proper equal marriage until churches are unable to turn away requests to host a same-sex marriage. Headlines like that are very frightening for people who come from a religious base in Australia. What are your thoughts on developments overseas and the idea that churches may not be able to turn away same-sex marriage if it goes against their religious conscience? Well, that news out of the UK is disturbing because the Speaker of a Parliamentary Chamber, such as the House of Commons, uh, should be representing, I think, the the very best of a plural um, society and a plural polity in the UK has been known for many years for its approach to, to human rights and valuing individuals. And uh, that really is is an attack on the diversity of their society and the legality and value of, of different views, um, not to mention flying in the face of Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which guarantees uh, individuals' uh, freedom of religious and conscientious belief. Doesn't that sort of story out of the UK make a mockery of the idea that there will be no ramifications and there will be exemptions for church leaders if the marriage law changed? Well, indeed, and you only have to look even within Australia, uh, in the Northern Territory, for example. Uh, At the moment, they have proposed laws uh, that would require groups who currently have exemptions Uh, on a religious basis rather than enjoying that protection on an ongoing basis there is discussion that they would have to apply and reapply on a regular basis and re-justify why they should be given exemptions and uh, you can go back to Victoria when they introduced laws for same-sex adoption and the Andrews government initially 
propose to not give faith-based organisations any exemptions. In the end, their upper house uh, put amendments into that law, which has continued exemptions for religious bodies. But what we see is that there is a, a widespread push to remove uh, what, what are known as exemptions, but really under international law should actually be positively protected attributes. Let's stay on this idea of homosexual activists pushing very hard and the church in the firing line because the idea that it's not proper equal marriage unless you get married in a church, uh, in the UK they're trying to make that a right, aren't they, to get married in a church? Look, there have been a number of of attempts to change that. Um, I think in terms of understanding Law. It's really important to come back and understand what the international law does say. Uh, one of the things that I did uh, last December and January was to chair a Senate Select Committee uh, looking at religious freedom protections if a bill for same-sex marriage was ever introduced. And this arose out of the early work towards holding a plebiscite. And uh, what we found there were two things that I think are really important for people to understand. Firstly, under international law, and so this has been found by both the United Nations Human Rights Committee as well as the European Court of Human Rights on multiple occasions, including as recently as last year, uh, where a nation uh, such as Australia has a parallel system to recognise and protect same-sex relationships, then because of the definitional um, construct of marriage within Article 23 of the ICCPR, there is no discrimination nor lack of equality if a nation chooses to continue to have the definition of marriage as between a man and a woman. So people who come out and say it's a human right or it's discrimination uh, and that's um, failing to live up to our international obligations actually don't understand what the jurisprudence internationally says. And so that's a really important point for people to understand about where we do actually stand in law. The second point to understand is that Australia is a signatory to the ICCPR, and that's the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights. But we've only ever implemented into our federal and state statutes laws around things like discrimination and equality, which are Articles 2 and 26. We've never positively protected... Article 18, which is freedom of religion and belief and conscience. And uh, we've never needed to in the past because we've always had broadly a shared set of values, even if people have different faiths or no faith at all. But in the last couple of decades, and particularly in this debate, uh, we see a divergence in those shared values. And increasingly, it's becoming important uh, that we do actually look to protect and thereby implement into our state and federal laws uh, Article 18 from the ICCPR. David, you're often asked to speak and help supporters of traditional marriage. You stand on the no change to marriage side of the debate. How do you help people understand how they can contribute to the debate when a lot of what is being discussed sometimes is about how the laws will be framed? Sure. Well, look, a lot of people are nervous about raising their perspective because they're afraid of being called a bigot or uh, or worse. And I think it's important, A, to understand where we do 
actually fall our international law and that is that supporting traditional marriage is not discriminatory and there is no inequality because we have those laws to recognize and protect same-sex relationships but the other thing i encourage people to do is if you work in an organization um whether it's a government department or a private sector firm, most of them will have an equity and diversity statement. And so those statements will talk about how important it is to harness different views and how uh, that all, you know, we, we want people to bring their whole selves to work, to be valued and respected. And what that means is that everyone, whether you support traditional marriage or you don't, all of those voices actually have a place. And, and if people are feeling nervous about raising uh, their perspective, I'd encourage them to have a read of their, their companies or their employers' equity and diversity statement and go and talk about it on that basis. And so if somebody attacks them, you can actually point back to it and go, well, you know what, we value diversity in this workplace. You know, we've all actually signed up to it. And have that discussion that the, the very democratic nature of our society is based on a plural society. And that means we have many views and each of those views should be valued. With some very large and influential companies uh, putting their hand up to support the yes case, uh, it does make it difficult in the workplace. And uh, there are challenges in the workplace. What you're saying is uh, make sure that if you are on the no side that you're actually not being discriminated against or suppressed in the way that you might hold your values. Indeed, and we've seen uh, you know, a couple of uh, well-publicised cases of Australians who support traditional marriage, who've been senior executives in large firms, uh, and activist groups have been calling for those people to be dismissed if they don't renounce their association with a, a group that supports traditional marriage. And I've actually called that out in, in speeches I've given in Parliament and said to the executives of those firms, well, look at your own equity and diversity statements uh, and how can you possibly uh, even consider giving in to these demands when you know, your own statement says that you value a range of opinions? If we come back to those recent developments in the UK, uh, it really becomes something that people are focusing on religious leaders and exemptions and whether they'll be exempt. But, of course, this relates to everyone and, dare I say, even politicians uh, because there's also that case in the UK where Tim Farron resigned from leading the Liberal Democratic Party because the British press had launched some kind of inquisition into his Christian faith. Are you across that issue? Yes, I am. And uh, it's kind of ironic in that the party he led you know, was known as a progressive Liberal Party, uh, Liberal Democratic Party. And uh, for the media to hound him out and some of his own colleagues to hound him out uh, just shows that you know, the concepts of diversity um, don't really apply when, when they have to accept that people may have a view that's different to their own. And uh, so, yeah, I, I believe it's important that we see that these freedoms do apply to everyone, not just to political leaders, not just to church leaders, but also to mums and dads with their kids at school. Uh, and one of the disturbing things I see in Australia is an increasingly authoritarian um, push by particularly state governments uh, around what people can or can't do. Uh, 
to give you an example, um, South Australia has just recently issued a directive to the principals in their schools uh, to get rid of heteronormative terminology in how things are discussed at school, uh, to implement programs like the Safe Schools program. And uh, disturbingly, what they've said to principals in this instruction, which you can access on their website, is that whilst they are to consult the parents, if the parents disagree and say, no, look, we don't want our child either exposed or we don't want our child to transition their gender, um, then the principal is to ignore the parents and even without medical advice, do what the principal thinks is in the best interest of the child. Now, that directly goes against our obligations under Article 18.4 of the International Covenant, which says that uh, nations such as Australia need to ensure that parents are able to raise their children in accordance with their own moral convictions. Uh, and so there are some really concerning trends emerging already in Australia. And uh, as you look at what's happening overseas, I think it's really important that we say, well, if we support traditional marriage, freedom of association, freedom of speech, uh, then vote no in this survey. And uh, importantly, um, through the other committee you mentioned that I chair, which is Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade, the uh, Human Rights Subcommittee of that is actually running an inquiry right now looking at freedom of religion in Australia uh, to try and understand how we can effectively uh, incorporate into our state and federal statutes Article 18 and ensure that those protections are in place into the future. And we'll need to monitor that along. Let me come back to being a politician for a few moments because isn't it the case that if you hold to these Christian views on traditional marriage uh, at the present time you wouldn't be able to stand for election in the Labor Party uh, and uh, on any, I imagine, left-leaning party in politics. Well, you'll have to ask the Labor Party about that, Neil. One of the reasons that um, I joined the, the Liberal Party when I left the military was that it does actually provide you the ability to hold a position that is at odds with uh, the party position on things, um, if you're prepared to argue and justify that case. Uh, but to date, certainly, um, that the party has supported the position of traditional marriage. And uh, I, I note with some interest that it was only a couple of years ago that uh, the Leader of the Opposition also supported traditional marriage and supported the right of Australians to have their say through a plebiscite if indeed uh, any change were to be proposed. And David, while people will appreciate that the Labor Party has even moved further left, uh, some would say that even the Liberal National Party has moved left too. Uh, your thoughts on shifts left in the Liberal Party? Look, Menzies uh, made the comment when he formed the Liberal Party that it was the, uh, the coming together of both conservative and liberal traditions. Um, I actually said in my maiden speech, I'm, I'm a conservative because I believe in the values that underpin our society, that have built uh, the nature, the character of our society that I think are worth preserving. Uh, I'm also a liberal in that as an experimental test pilot, which was my profession before politics, uh, I'm always happy to try and innovate and do different things. But when it comes to marriage uh, and the family, uh, that's one of those conservative values that I certainly hold to. And uh, there are certainly uh, a large number of people within the Liberal Party who still hold to that. And David, before I let you go, uh, your thoughts on just how serious this issue is, if the definition of marriage could potentially change, 
as someone who is uh, perhaps a husband, a father, uh, a political representative, a senator, uh, how how serious is this for listeners to our conversation today? How do you describe the current state of affairs and the potential for change if the no case does not win? Look, Neil, that is a uh, that's a context relevant question. If you if you ask me to compare it to Christians in Mosul and the genocide they've been facing, then clearly, you know, this is not something that's existential. But if you ask me to look at it in the context of the freedoms that our society has been built on, the nature of our polity, then it is a serious issue because the kind of authoritarian, totalitarian rejection of any view that deviates from that progressive agenda which is being pushed uh, is being shouted down. We see the discussion around laws such as in the Northern Territory uh, to limit uh, the ability of people to hold and to manifest their religious or conscientious views. Uh, I believe that that will change the character of our society. Uh, so it is a serious issue that we should uh, become engaged with, uh, and that's why certainly I've asked the Human Rights Subcommittee from my Committee on Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade to look into religious freedom and how we can positively protect that in Australia, regardless of the outcome uh, of the plebiscite. Senator David Fawcett, Liberal Party for South Australia. Thanks so much for talking to us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.